Welcome to Leadership Requested. I'm your host, Jen Rebar. Thanks for listening. After the pandemic hit, the world was more disconnected than ever before. My daughter Juliana and I wanted to help, so we started this podcast to empower leaders with encouraging messages from around the world. We both love hearing people tell their heartfelt stories and have a passion for learning. Join us every Wednesday as a unique leader comes on our show to talk with us and share their story of how they use leadership to make their slice of the world a better place. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you enjoy listening to our show, subscribe to our channel, give us a review, and let us know what you think. Remember, your leadership has been requested. Are you ready? Well, Jen, thank you so much for having me on. Great talking to you over the last uh, few weeks, couple weeks or so, I guess. We've only talked once and then over email, but thank you so much for having me on. Always a pleasure to and exciting to jump on and talk to anyone about leadership and discuss you know different aspects of that and different leadership viewpoints, methodologies. Um, so love talking about that. So thank you so much, first of all. Of course. Yeah, my name is uh, Brandon Williams. I live in the Atlanta, Georgia area. I was actually born and raised in the Atlanta, Georgia area, um, but I moved away when I graduated high school. Um, I went into the United States Air Force, mm-hmm. went to the U.S. Air Force Academy out in uh, Colorado Springs for school, graduated from there, and went on into Air Force pilot training, where I eventually went on to fly the F-15E uh, Strike Eagle and also the uh, T-38 as an uh, instructor pilot. So I did about 12 years of active duty uh, as a fighter pilot and then serving in several leadership positions during my time uh, in the military. Left active duty, uh, joined the United States Air Force Reserves part-time. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing that. I'm actually getting ready to retire uh, from the reserve. So active duty and reserves, I'll have over 20 years um, when I retire here soon. So I, But I've been only doing the reserves for about part-time for the last eight years or so. So just purely part-time. Um, but after leaving active duty, in addition to doing the, the reserves part-time mm-hmm. is when I got into my, the current careers I'm into now. Uh, the first was I do work at a major airline. I'm a pilot for major airline. So started that career path. And then also kind of what my passion is, I was talking about leadership early. I got into management consulting and uh, leadership development. Mm-hmm. So that involved I've been in this industry of almost eight years. Um, most of that time has been working with contracted out under other companies and working with them, teaching uh, process improvement, uh, planning, strategy development, how we improve upon that, and then a little bit of leadership in there, more around, around the team concept, how we lead teams and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so traveled around the world, our country, talked with several uh, you know, big name Fortune 500 companies you would recognize, and then plenty of others that you, you really wouldn't probably ever heard of. Uh, it ran the gamut of industries, any and all, because as we know, leadership uh, it doesn't matter what you're in, profit, nonprofit, uh, what industry, you know, what level you're at, frontline leader, or in the C-suite, all these leadership concepts and ideas apply to, as you know, apply to everyone. Mm-hmm. So worked across the industries doing that. Keynotes, workshops, uh, consulting, as I said, strategy consulting. And then about a year or two ago is when I started my company, LeadTAC, 
which is the one I founded. And we focus more on pure leadership. So what I mean by that is uh, developing individuals or individual leader uh, as this leadership development, we call it. And so that involves leadership coaching. We call it leadership development, uh, keynotes and workshop. And we do workshops and we also do some organizational development uh, as well. But uh, LeadTAC really stands for leading tactically. And where I got the idea for this was when I was talking to these teams, uh, do, doing the management consulting, giving them processes and you know, different ways to do things, I, I found the same questions you know, after the events or you know, talking with the clients and you'd have these C-suites or VP level or, or any leadership type person come up and they were asking me individual leadership questions. Well, Brandon, you know, how, do you, how do you drive accountability? You know, how do you motivate people? How do you get people to do what you want them to do? Uh, how, you know, all the, the leadership stuff. And I, I started thinking about it and I said, you know, this is stuff that I think I took for granted when I was in the military, especially in the, obviously in the air force in a flying organization where it, it's, it's just concepts and ideas that I think we were expected to know at an extremely young age in our careers, you know, as a brand new mm -hmm. Lieutenant or even in the enlisted side, a brand new uh, airman or troop that comes in and you're given leadership responsibility very, very early on. And so you learn those leadership lessons at a very young age. Unlike the, I think the business world, a lot of times what we see, what I found is that we typically, typically promote, you know, based on technical job skills. So in other right. words, say you're a salesperson and you meet your quota and what happens, you know, okay, you're doing a good job. We're going to give you a team of, you know, three or four salespeople, right? Um, and you'll probably do okay there because they want to keep up with you and, and you're not necessarily leading them, but they're just hitting their numbers too because they want to be, you know, hit, you know, keep up with you. Well, then that next step when we go to say regional sales manager or a, a much larger position, a lot more responsibility, that's when we typically see people stumble. And that's kind of the plateau level for a lot of people. And it's not their fault. It's just, they haven't been they haven't been taught, mentored, developed those leadership skill sets. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's like I always say, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that leaders are not born. That now we're we're all born with different skill sets, different gifts. Fully believe that. Mm -hmm. But there's so many different skill sets that go into and characteristics that go into being a good leader um, that we have to develop them, especially the ones we're not so good at. Right. So, you know, sometimes people may make it to those levels because they have one or two skills that are just highly recognized. Um, but other people don't don't ever develop those. I mean, it's like anything else you do. It's like, you know, golf or, or anything else. We have to practice it. We have to do it. And but if you don't know what you're doing or what you're doing wrong, it's, it's kind of hard to to say that. So anyway, I tell you all that because I took all those leadership skill sets for granted in the military. And I said, hey, if I could bottle some of this up. If I could take this and give this to organization, just some of the, the ways we were trained, the ways we were developed and apply that, um, what that could do. And so where LeadTAC came from, it stands for leading tactically. And it, when I say leading tactically, when we talk about leadership, we have to think tactically how our, our human brains are wired, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we, have, we always think about strategy and strategic thinking, and, and we have to have that Absolutely. But where leaders typically stumble is when they connect that strategy to their people or they take that strategy and try to get their teams to execute or follow through in that strategy. 
And that goes back to leadership. Again, that goes back to how we're tactically wired, how we as humans think, how we feel, our emotions, everything that goes into that. And I tell you all that because our methodology is actually called human factors leadership because we take all those human factors. And when we're in a complex world, you know, in, in ever-changing, dynamic uncertainty, which, I mean, that's what we're in right now, right? I mean, even so true. pre-COVID, right? I would argue, and I think most people would too, that we're already in a complex world. I mean, we're already working. Data moves faster than we can keep up with. We have so much information we had to get sort through. Companies are always wanting to work agile or more agile, mm-hmm. quicker, adapt better. Let's speed up better than the competition. I mean, and now you throw in a whole different pandemic, which has shifted everything. I mean, holy cow, like... There's just so much complexity, and the problem with the human mind, though, is, as most people know, humans, we don't like complexity. I mean, our natural wiring is what? We want to be simple. We want to follow habits. You know, Don't like uh, change. Exactly. We don't like change. I want to learn a process. I want to get that process down, and that's what I want to do, right? I mean, we, it's like they say, you can take the, um, the person out of the Stone Age, but you can't take the Stone Age out of the person, right? We're still those same <laughs> Uh, brains are still wired uh, the same way. So human factors leadership is all about how we deal with that complexity because what does complexity do to us? It, it drives human error. And mm-hmm. human error is a natural state of us. It's uh, anytime you have humans, you're going to have human error. But the key is mitigating that human error. You're never going right. to eliminate it. But we as leaders have to understand how to mitigate that or help our people mitigate that. And that's my argument is, is leadership is all about tapping into those human factors and how we help our people uh, mitigate those that human error. So, and again, it's all based on my time um, as a fighter pilot in the Air Force, uh, operating extremely dynamic, dynamic, complex environments. How we trained, how we mitigated human errors, uh, just like many high reliability organizations, HROs, which think you know the medical world, uh, nuclear power industry, uh, any type of industry that there's a very complex environment and the uh the cost of making mistake or human error is extremely high you know it could be human loss of life or um injury to humans so we take in hros we take human error very seriously almost obsessive on how we can mitigate that um so much more i can talk about there but i'm gonna just trying to summarize as much as i can but that's really what my company is all about what we do that's my passion is leadership I also teach uh, adjunct professor at several universities um, where I teach mostly online distance learning, uh, where I teach human factors management and some other courses as well. So um, that's kind of wow. me. And we live in the Atlanta, Georgia area now. I live here with my wife mm-hmm. uh, and our two small children. Uh, I have a son who is uh, six and my daughter who is 10. So staying involved cool. in their lives too and coaching and their activities and, and school and everything else. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're a very busy guy. First off, congratulations on your soon-to-be retirement. That's oh, a big you. accomplishment. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. It's you know I say that um, the Air Force obviously was it shaped who I am a lot of or a lot of who I am. Um, obviously, a background and and has given me the opportunity to do the things I've done now, large part of my life. So very proud of that time. Um, although I'd always like to say I don't like to let one event or one experience to find me. Um, you know, I'm a father, a husband, a son, a you know, the business owner, <laughs> community person, you know, I, right. trying to participate. So I always try to say that that was a large part of my life, very proud of it, but I try not to make, you know, that define me all the time either. So, but thank you. I appreciate that. 
A lot of different facets there. How did the, I, I have so many questions about how you built your current business, but one of my, my big ones is how did you use the military experience to kind of dovetail into the business world? Because I think stereotypically, when you think of military, you think of a bit colder, a bit more dogmatic. And when you think of business, like you said, it's the human factor. There's a lot of personalities. There's a lot more um, PC-ness that you have to worry about than the military. How did you create that method and create the human side um, of that um, to dovetail so nicely? Sure. Great question. And um, it's funny, this this comes up a lot, especially you know if there's people that aren't always familiar with the military, which are a lot of people. Uh, which is mm-hmm. fine because we we typically associate what we know about something either through what we've seen in movies or you know <laughs> what are right. and some of those stereotypes you know are I guess are there but you know what I would always tell people there's a few different ways to to talk about this and I could talk about this all day this particular topic but um, first of all what I'll say is so in a military organization I mean you know we haven't had you know firing squads or you know, we haven't had, hey, you're going to get thrown in jail or prison if you don't follow this order. Mm-hmm. Or I don't even think I've ever in my entire 20 years or more than 20 years in the military ever heard anybody say, you know, in an official setting, I order you to do this. Like, I, I've never, <laughs> I mean, obviously it's understood a lot of times when a superior or a, 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 a superior, someone above you, a direct report mm-hmm. to relate it back to business would tell you, hey, you know, th- there's a lot of understanding there, but there's never, you know, like in the movie, it's never this, this, um, Hey, I order you to do this. And so that'll get, I'll get into that later when I talk about peer accountability, but I bring that up because one of the earliest leadership lessons I learned, uh, going all the way back when I was a cadet in the air force academy, especially as a, as a, uh, as a Lieutenant, a brand new officer in, in the, uh, in the air force, you know, it's like anything else. You got to find a mentor. The mm-hmm. senior officers are expected to educate those younger officers. Same thing when the enlisted side, Non-commissioned officers expected to educate those younger uh, enlisted troops as they come in. But one of the best pieces of advice I, ever, I was ever told was the day you have to use your rank in the military to get anything done is the day you've lost. Because it's like anything else, just like in business. You know, Do you want to follow people because that's their title or that's the position they're in? Now, yes, of course – in the military, you have to, and in certain businesses, you have to, too, or you're going to get fired, right? I mean, so, you know, we, so just because there's a rank structure, which it is highly, you know, when any kind of military unit, there's got to be obviously a rank structure for a very good reason. But the day you have to use your rank to motivate people, in other words, I order you to do this, that's the day you've lost them. I mean, yeah, of course, they're going to do what you say, but are they really going to do a good job? Are they really motivated right. to do it? Do they really feel empowered? Again, those same human factors that we see in the workplace or we see in any type of operation. Again, in the common, Jen, the common link here is, is like I said, human factors is it all involves what? It all involves humans, mm-hmm. military, business. It doesn't matter. Those same human factors. It doesn't know if you're in the military, not in the military, profit, nonprofit, family life, business life. It doesn't know. Those same human emotions come into play. So that's the first thing I'll say about the, you know, the military side of, um, you know, being told what to do versus not being told what to do. The other piece is 
you know, a lot of times the misconception, I think, in the military, like in the movies, is we just march around, we follow orders, and that's what we do, right? Which mm -hmm. I always tell them, like, nothing could be farther from the truth. It's so funny because the reason a lot of times military organizations do have standardized procedures or standardized operating procedures, SOPs, and I teach this to my, to my business clients a lot of times, too, um, when they have a lack of structure. The reason we have that is not so we'll follow rote instructions every time we do something. The reason we have those is because we want our people to operate very autonomously. We want to be able to send you out, Jen, to go do this mission or go do this task. And Jen, guess what? I don't want to be watching over your shoulder. I don't want you to come and ask me every you know, hour or every day, hey, what do I do about this? What do I do about this? Mm -hmm. I don't want you to follow the instructions by Because a lot of times, guess what? Especially in the flying world, there's a lot of situations that are not addressed by procedures or instructions. So we expect you to operate very autonomously. And that's, you know, especially talk about a combat situation or austere environment. I mean, that's critical. Um, especially the world I came from, we're flying a, a mission and I've got a team of three other aircraft that I'm flying with and I'm going out and I'm separated by hundreds, probably maybe thousands of miles by any type of leadership authority. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm given a direction, a commander's intent of what our overall mission objective is but I'm expected to, to develop my own mission objective for my team in order to meet that larger, that larger goal. Right. We go out there. We don't know what we're going to face. I mean, we talk about, yeah, we, we have intelligence, we have weather. I mean, we have an idea, but you get into a situation and a lot of it, unexpected things happen, a lot of um, ambiguity, a lot of complexity, mm -hmm. and it just throws you at you. And we're expected to make decisions. We're expected to mitigate those human errors and those very complex dynamic environments. And so well, I love your answer because yeah. the things that you said are so key because mentorship so often doesn't happen in normal business environments. You're thrown in, whether you be fresh out of college or any kind of position in the workforce, you're thrown right. in and you don't have a mentor unless you seek one right. out or someone right. happens to find you. Right. And then the other thing you said is with the military, it's your it's the expectation that you're going to um, support the people around you. And in the workplace, that's not always the expectation. The expectation is that you're going to beat out the competition or you're going to be the best that there is or some other expectation. It's not that you're going to get in there and that you're going to rally around your troops and that you're going to support your team. And that, I think, perception needs to change because so often I know in my business consulting career, the main thing I hear is our company is siloed. Our company is siloed. Okay. Well, in every meeting I've been in, I hear that marketing's to blame for IT's problem and IT is to blame for finance problems and everyone's finger pointing and nobody's working together to fight the real battle and everyone doesn't understand why you guys aren't a team. And I think that's something that I found so unique about your um, purpose and your company's vision, because that's something to take from a military point of view that I don't think people usually see. People see the drill sergeant in someone's face, just do what I say because I say it, and they don't see working together in the muck and the mud to for a greater purpose.
And yeah. that's really what companies need to succeed. You're exactly right. Because what you just defined is, I, I call it sometimes the, uh, that's not my job syndrome. Or the, uh, I, talk a little, I talk a lot about this in my talk, talk the blame and train approach, the old management style of, I usually associate it with, say when somebody makes a mistake. So Brandon, let's say Brandon didn't do well in this project or this task, or he lost this sale. And we say, okay, well, Brandon, clearly you, you messed up. You need to be trained up on this. So let's go train. Well, we don't look at the entire system. We don't look at what was going on in Brandon's life at that point. Uh, what was his leadership? Was he even provided the right resources? Was he trained correctly? You know, what was the organizational structure set up? Did he even, did we even know that marketing never gave him the materials he was supposed to have so he could do this sell, but he just tried to power through it. Cause you said, we don't, we just, it's this old blame and train approach that has been the traditional business style versus a, what we talk about with human factors leadership is a system style style thinking. Yeah. And then going back again to your, I love what you said about, and I think that is one of the biggest differences in uh, the corporate world business and or the civilian side or what do you want to call it versus the military is that idea you're talking about, you know, the caring for each other, looking out for each other. We call it mutual support. Mm -hmm. um, huge, huge concepts in military aviation because, again, we're separated oftentimes by thousands of miles. And all we have is us and the other people in our formation, the other aircraft over there to look out for each other. And so that's ingrained in us in, from an operational standpoint, but from a, uh, you know, because also in the military, we, we have other jobs too. I mean, people think I just flew. No, I mean, we have to run budgets. We have to manage programs. We have to lead people. We have to write performance reports. We have to, you name it. We're doing a lot of those same functions. Matter of fact, the longer you stay in the military, the less of that other, I'd say, fun stuff you get to do and more of the, <laughs> you know, other that we don't like to do so much. But you have to do it. It's like any other organization. But what I was getting at was those operational tenets, again, how we mitigated human error, mutual support that we took from the operational world and how we applied that when we got on the ground and did our other jobs. And so this idea that, like you said, it's not only about looking out for myself, but it's I don't want to be that guy or gal that drops the ball. And otherwise, Jen, if you're doing a task and I'm supporting you, part of your team, even though I know you're going to take the fall if something goes wrong, it's not like I'm just going to blow that off. Because guess what? I don't want to be the person that is the reason you, you know, got a bad name or you look mm -hmm. bad because we relate it all back to how we trade, you know, operationally. Mm -hmm. And so we're not going to let each other down. It's this idea of mutual support. Matter of fact, our commanders in the military when you're given command of an organization, big, big deal. Not only are our commanders graded on, you know, how well they technically do their job, how well their organization technically does their job. So me measuring those numbered metrics, if you will, but they're also evaluated on how well their people under them do. In other words, are people in their unit getting recognized? Are people in their unit moving on to bigger and better things? Are people in their unit happy? Mm -hmm. That's a big, big deal. Um, it should be in the military. And again, that's that piece I think that's missing in a lot of organizations I go to for the reasons you were talking about is it's this just show up to your job approach. And again, this goes back way deeper into stuff. I'm not going to get into it now, but I talk about in my methodology is, is getting to know our people, that camaraderie, that morale. Mm -hmm. You know, Simon Sinek talks a lot about this in, uh, if you're read leaders eat last, mm -hmm. uh, and he uses the military as an example, you know, of getting to know your people, you know, what, what's going on in Jen's life, you know, uh, they didn't even know Brandon's dad was in the hospital. You know, they didn't even might even know that, you know, what's going on. I mean, you have to get personal, but just getting to know people because then they're not just a coworker. Mm -hmm. but they're a, they're a peer, they're a friend, they're a, 
you know, and that's something that was huge um, in a military flying organization, I think, that, that I took away. So, uh, but yeah, so much to dive in there. Sorry, when you, when you talked about the, uh, you know, caring for each other, like that, that is huge that you got that out, you got out of that, because a lot of times that's one of the biggest points I try to make and the difference in the world I came from and, you know, what I see a lot of times. Well, I think COVID has shown companies that that's even more important mm -hmm. because we've all gone to work from home. So we've, everyone's been a little bit more disconnected mm -hmm. than they were before. But I think what it's highlighted even more is that for a lot of people, nothing changed because we were all fairly disconnected even when we were sitting next to each other. So for people like me, I'm an introverted person. I'm smiley and I'm bubbly, but nobody really knows what's going on with me because I won't go out of my way to do more than <laughs> smile and wave, especially at work because I'm also really focused. So if I'm at work, I'm working. And so being working from home, I've had to make an effort to actually connect with people. And for me, it's been a benefit. But in the workplace and as an employer, I've had to work with a lot of people who've had to actually make the effort to connect with people and their minds have been blown at what they've learned about their employees. They've been working and leading teams for years and they've just learned that some of their employees have had, you know, disabled parents and also their own um, financial issues or they're living in a home with six kids and they right. also are their best high achieving employee. Right. You, they didn't know any of that stuff. They right. just knew them as high achiever A or, you know, maybe the person who was always late. They didn't right. know that they were, you know, managing medications for, you know, right. two elderly people. So right. all of that understanding comes into play when you are judging someone harshly for missing a deadline and things like that and taking that extra moment to have those conversations when you are being a leader and you are taking the time to be a mentor or things like that are super important that maybe leaders as today don't take into account because we are so worried about leading to the dollar amount or leading to an achievement rather than leading to people, which is really probably our, our best achievement. Yeah. And you, you said it perfectly uh, when you first started off there about how, especially now, um, I mean, there were already some teams working remotely. I, I get it. And we were already mm -hmm. probably disconnected a lot, but now it's even, you have to make even much more, especially as a leader of any type of organization. I don't care if you're a small team leader, you know, and oh, by the way, everybody's a leader in some sense. So don't ever say you're not in a leader's position. They're, you know, informal leader. Everybody is a leader in some sense. So even now, especially, and people ask me this all the time, they're like, well, what do, what do you do to keep that morale tempo going? Like, it's, let's say we haven't been in the, the office since, you know, February. Well, mm -hmm. how do you keep that? I said, well, you know, think about it. When do you have a meeting? Like, well, we have a Monday meeting, kind of see how then we have a midweek. And I said, okay, well, when do you have a meeting? Just kind of don't even call it a meeting. Just call it a, a get together, just a, a check in um, mm -hmm. to see how people are. Oh, we don't really do that. I'm like, well, there you go. You know, I mean, take 30 minutes out. I don't care how 30 minutes hour just to, hey, you know, no agenda. We're just going to check in, see how people are doing. Cup of coffee, make it a happy hour thing. I don't care whatever you want to do, mm -hmm. but just a check in to get to know people. 
Um, because especially now, like you said, if you thought it was tougher in the workplace, it's especially now with, with people so, um, so disconnected. And going back on that, making that deliberate effort, like you said, Jen, people just didn't know. Um, one of the concepts of our, of our, we have six parts to our human factors uh, methodology, but one of those is what we call situational awareness. And situational awareness is, you probably heard about it in the self-defense industry, but it's this idea of just that, you know, your awareness of all your surroundings and how your current environment is being affected by all the variables around you right now. Mm-hmm. So we say when you have a high situation awareness, you're very keen on what's going on around you. You can all even start, maybe start to predict or have a good idea of what's about to happen next because you're very aware. If you have low situation awareness, and you could think about walking down the street with your headphones in, checking your email. That probably example of low because you're not really probably sure all the different environment, the variables that are affecting your environment. We can imagine in flying, uh, especially flying a fighter, they can fly faster than the speed of sound, and you're dealing with you know, weather, other aircraft, talking air traffic control, terrain, throwing a combat situation, you're dealing with other threats. I mean, holy cow, you've got to really work to maintain that situation awareness. Mm-hmm. So the reason I say that, that's a cornerstone of what we did, but the reason I say that is not only do you want to have situational awareness about your business, about your clients, your customers, your competition, you name it, your environment, but you want to have situational awareness of your people. Exactly what you just said. And, and, and the reason I call it that is because you have to be very proactive about being situation aware. The opposite of situation awareness or high situation awareness would be complacency. We just get complacent. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times our human nature, as I said earlier, we want to fall into that complacency because it's easy. We won't have it. You know, it's easy not to check in on people because that takes time and I want to focus on my work and, you know, you name it. So, but you're exactly right. You know, how we have to take a, a very concentrated effort and and really understand that is is critical. Now what kind of clients are seeking out your services and what t- length of time do they work with you? Is it a one and done or is it something that you they come back and see you over and over? Explain that to me. Sure. Well, the the short answer is it varies. Um, okay. There's no one simple answer to I guess the engagements that we do, uh, mm-hmm. first of all, industries, like I said earlier, these concepts, like we've talked about, applies to anybody. So really, mm-hmm. honestly, anybody and everybody. Um, I think where it has the most impact um, in any organization is probably that VP or C-suite level because that's where you have the most, um, you know, the most, again, the most impact. They're the ones that are going to, like anything else, it starts from the top down, right? So, so anything that we can instill at that level can help him make the entire organization better. But we work with all different groups, like a lot of frontline leaders, all the way up to that C-suite. So it really runs the gamut of leaders we do. We do uh, leadership coaching. We'll mm-hmm. do the one-on-one or some small team leadership development, if you will. And that's where we really take, and we do some assessments, we do some interviews. And you know, I always say of all my engagements, all my consulting, everything is all, like, all customized. I don't just bring in and say, I'm gonna fit this onto you or fit this in your organization. We look at it, we see what you need, and we're probably going to focus on some other areas more than others. Um, mm-hmm. Or you may need a good, you know, rounding of all of it. But the point is, it's customized to the client, especially when you're talking individual coaching or maybe a small team development. And then we do workshops, which where we focus on, you can look at the website, but we do a human factors workshop. We really find out mm-hmm. where are those human errors, how we mitigate them, how do we need to do that in an organization, 
are we have our situation awareness leadership workshop where we talk about maintaining that situation awareness. Um, and then another thing we talk about, we haven't talked a whole lot, but here is what we call a just culture, which a, a just culture is really about, again, a systems-based thinking. So I talked earlier about that blame and train approach. Yeah. And I love what you said earlier when you said, um, you said, say you, you mess up and, and we typically judge them on mm -hmm. their mistake. Well, again, going back to a just culture, it's not a judgment. It's not an investigation. It's a, we're going to do a deep dive and see where the system failed here. I don't care if it was Jen's fault. Jen was involved in it. Brandon was involved in it. He was the lead. It doesn't matter. We're going to go in and we're going to approach this from a system-based thinking. And this goes back again to aviation, how we looked at aviation accidents. You know, up until about the 70s or 80s, we learned this the hard way was an aircraft would have an accident, a mishap. And we would typically mm -hmm. say, well, it was pilot error. Um, so let's, you know, make sure pilots don't do this again and we'll go about our day. Well, mm -hmm. of course, it's easy to say don't do this again, right? But what does that really do? And what right. we found, we had to look at a, a systems-based thinking of what was the organization like? What was their training mm -hmm. like? What was the team composition? What was the leadership? And then finally, we look at the actual decision of the, of the pilot or the crew or, or whatever. But there was all these different things that led up to that that we would look at. Because what we found was the old way of doing it, it didn't really matter but because we would say, oh, well, you know, they messed up here, so let's tell everybody not to do that. Well, we found the same mistakes were happening, and we're still having massive – and it was – a lot of times it was the system that was the problem. Mm -hmm. It was the way we trained. It was the way the captains ran their cockpits or, you know, leaders ran their organizations of, of keeping everybody quiet. So the point is, though, we came up with this idea of this just culture, this idea where anyone can speak up. When anyone sees something wrong, they can speak up. It drives peer accountability. It requires peer accountability, this open mm -hmm. environment of where we can all speak up. We, there's different ways you can establish that, but also decentralized execution, as I talked about earlier. In other words, a atmosphere that is leadership-backed autonomy. So, hey, Jen, I'm going to trust you to go out and do that mission I want you to do. I'm not going to micromanage you. I'm not going to watch over your shoulder, and, but I'm going to support you, all right? I'm going to mm -hmm. tr trust your decision-making. You wouldn't be there if I didn't trust you. Now Jen knows she's going to go and do her best, but hey, if she does have a misstep, as long as she was trying to make the right call, we're going to come back. I'm not going to get slapped on the wrist or nothing bad's going to happen. We're going to look at it from a systems-based thinking say, what happened? But that just culture, that idea that, you know, we can all speak up. We can point out when something does not right, something goes wrong. So when we do have a misstep, we go back and we do what's called a debrief. We look mm -hmm. at it. We look at different areas. We look at the person. We look at the environment. We look at the actions, and we look at the resources involved. Call it P-A-R, pair. I didn't come up with that. That's actually a human factors um, technique. But when you look at something that went wrong, you look at the person. What was their mental state, the fatigue, what was going on in their life? You know, the environment, the regulatory environment, our organizational environment, uh, mm -hmm. actions that were taken on that team, and then finally resources. Were the right resources there? Was there any leadership involved? You know, you look, use this whole concept. Instead of this, I'm going to judge you and say that, you know, you messed up. So clearly, Jen, you don't know what you're doing. You need to get trained again. We're going to look at the whole system. Um, mm -hmm. So that's important about what you said, you know, with the, you know, when we look at these things and we, where people have missteps, and that's really a large part of our, our process too, is how we dig in and how we get that, that feedback or that debrief, that input. So we don't have these mistakes again about how the well, team. I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine that the employee engagement rates would just 
change dramatically because the security, like a call center environment, the security mm -hmm. of knowing that if you make a mistake, you're going to look at it and figure it out and right. you're not going to be let go. You're not going to be um, just ripped a new one. Everyone's, <laughs> it's going to be okay. We're just going right. to figure it out and find right. a solution and move forward rather than you're not going to be made an example of. You're not going to have this um, chart of all of your red marks right. because I think that's part of the atmosphere that's created is just this, um, chalkboard of all your mistakes and if you hit a certain limit or if you make a big enough one that's it and all your job security and everything else is gone and that stress just makes people make more mistakes so it it, what you see and, i think a lot of times oh sorry go ahead Oh, and I also think that when you're in an environment where you know that's going to happen, it also leads to employees not being kind to each other because in an effort to save their own bacon, they throw their coworkers under the bus, which also leads to more stress and just kind of a toxic environment. We do. And, you know, the thing with that is where does that, whose fault is that? I mean, where does that always lie? I don't care what it is. It's always whoever the leader of that organization is. Um, you know, there's no such thing as bad teams, only bad leaders, right? We've all heard that before. And that's so, so true because that culture, whatever you want to call it, culture is a big word, but you know, that mm -hmm. culture, that environment, whatever, that's been established in some way. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about, we talk, one of the ideas, again, is team roles is a part of our, uh, methodology and all that team roles, all that's talking about is role establishment. So being very clear of, of who's doing what on a project or a team or what your role is. Uh, but also it's, it's mutual support that we talked about already mm -hmm. peer accountability. And there's a, there's, I don't mean the kind of accountability where do this or else I'm talking peer accountability, you know, the mm -hmm. kind of accountability, again, like I talked about earlier, I don't want to drop the ball because I don't want you to look bad. And likewise, I know you're going to do your job because I'm doing mine. It's this inherent trust versus this idea yeah. of, like you said, we're trying to, you know, step on each other to, to get to the top. And, it's like they say, it's amazing what you can do when nobody gets the credit. And it's so true. Um, when we're, mm -hmm. you know, we, we have that cohesion, we have that morale um, and we're doing that, but that is, that's a, that's a really good point. I was going to say something else and I'm trying to, it's something you said, I can't remember now, but I'm sure I'll, I'll think of it here <laughs> in, in just a second. <laughs> hate when that happens. I know. I know. It's just, it's really good. To, there's so many different things I'm thinking of here that we could, we could talk about as we, we go into this, but that's, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what I was going to say, I didn't finish your earlier question, though, about um, our products. Oh, sorry. I'll talk, I'll talk, no, it's fine. Mm -hmm. I talked about the leadership development, the workshops, and then the keynotes we do, um, which is mm -hmm. the, uh, we talk a lot about our, again, a lot of stuff I've been talking about. We go into our human factors methodology, all customized. Um, we do it virtually and live, all the products we do. And as far as the, the length of engagements and what we do, again, it just really varies on what clients are looking for and what teams need. Um, a lot of times we'll do a keynote and then follow up with maybe certain divisions or areas and kind of do a deeper dive into there, maybe some of their leadership and, and talk about that. So it just really runs the gamut and we pride ourselves on trying to be customized to what our clients need and what they're looking for. And I'm all about, I say, it's like business books, you know, there's, there's probably what hundreds, thousands of business books out. I mean, uh, leadership books out there, right? I mean, you can find any kind of leadership mm -hmm. book you wanted and there's not one solution. I think some are better than others. Um, but I think you take parts of 
little parts from each one. And same thing in my model. I don't try to go in and replace the way somebody's doing something or their methodology. I just hope that they can take bits and pieces of it and apply it to their leadership style or their organization style or, or whatever. And that's, that's kind of how I, my approach to, to when I work with my clients. So. I like it. Now, how have you been doing with COVID? Are you traveling to see your clients? Are you doing most things remotely? How is that working for you? Most everybody now is looking for remote stuff, obviously. Um, it seems mm -hmm. like, I mean, there's interest in the future, um, you know, tentatively looking at um, in-person stuff. Nobody's really, not a whole lot of commitments to in-person yet, but there's a lot of talk right. about it, proposals, things like that. Mostly now, a lot of it, if it's real time, like now is, is virtually um, and a lot of that was leadership development workshops. Uh, but yeah, a lot of it is, is remote now, which was most things. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you know, it's, it's, it's a different animal remote, but it's, it's, it's definitely effective. Um, you change things up a little bit, how we do things, but I mean, gosh, now with, you know, all the technology we have and zoom and how you can not even zoom, but different other platforms out there and you can do breakout yeah. rooms, different things you can do. I mean, you really know how to use it well. And, you know, you're a good facilitator. You keep it on time, keep people interested, engaged. Um, it, it, it's really impressive. Mm -hmm. I, I was really impressed when we started doing a lot of these. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I have one more question for you. Yeah. What legacy do you want to leave? Oh gosh. Um, you know, I always think about this and it's, it's like the, the question they asked, I think it was, um, I think it was Covey. He, he said in his book, he said, you know, when you think back, it's at your funeral, you know, what are they saying about you? What are they, what are they going to, what do you want to be remembered as? What do you want to be? That's what I always think about. And I always tell, I always, I really do think about this and, and I, I think about it a lot more and, and I try to really get deep into it and say, what, what is, you know, when people look back, you know, what do they say? And so I drew this, you know, thing in my book and, you know, there's the, the spiritual side of me. And then there's the, I say the, the family side, you know, what the next thing is, you know, close spiritual family. And then you look at, you know, good friend or a friend was always there for people. And then on the outside, there is the, I say the community part. So mm -hmm. always trying to be involved, always trying to, to make other people, organizations, situations, areas, whatever, you know, better trying to add something. And that last realm is the professional. So the you know, the business owner, the pilot, the, you know, whatever else I do, you know, all the professional stuff. So I kind of look at it, the most important stuff at the core there. So above all, you know, Brandon was a, he was a father, he was a husband, he was a son, uh, but he was also a good friend. You know, he, you could always count on him. If he ever asked you to do something, he was always there for you. You know, he'd always, and then outside, you know, he always was involved in things on the outside. And then finally, you know, Hey, by the way, he also, did this other stuff, you know, uh, whether it was in business or whatever. That's the way I kind of look at that is I try to think of it as a core. And then you kind of go out from there of what was the most important thing or what I want to be the most important thing in my life and, um, and expand it from there. And it, it's actually helped me in terms of balance and, um, you know, when Priorities. I'm working, yeah. And when I'm working, I've got so much to do and I'm like, but my son wants to go outside and, you know, throw the football or baseball or like, you know what, whatever, I, this, mm -hmm. this work will be here later. Um, and so it, it's, it is really good to think about that stuff because then you, you really do start to prioritize and think about what's really important. So that's a good question. <laughs>
Well, I appreciate you so much being a guest and talking about leadership. I think that what you're doing is amazing and so very helpful for, you know, the people who are in there working for the companies and trying to push the um, leadership forward. Because like you said, everybody is a leader and everybody is out there trying to do their best. So I think that you are making people into better leaders and that's that's. A very good thing. I think you're well on your way to make your legacy. Great. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Like what you hear? Become a supporter of Leadership Requested. Subscribe to the Leadership Requested podcast. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for listening and catch us next Wednesday on Leadership Requested. Your leadership has been requested. Are you ready?